Hello, Joe DeVoe, Joanna DeVoe. This is a long-time listener, first-time caller. I would like to say thanks for that podcast you did the other day about Mind Chatter. I really love the potties that you do where it's just you talking. I, I love the ones with, with the, your guests and your line of questioning and the chats you have. I've learned so much from your guests as well. But I honestly think you could do your podcast now where it's just you talking. You are the brand, baby. You are so good at shooting the breeze, you know, sharing your knowledge. You've got your own thing going on, fun, delightful, practical, easy steps, easy to listen to. So that's my bit of feedback on the podcast, which I love. And I'm so happy that I found you years ago on YouTube. I've learned so much from you. And that has radiated out from me to the people around me. So thank you. My question, Joe, is how does one create a consistent psycho-spiritual practice? In my case, journaling. And I'm going to sound like a wanker now and quote Joan Didion. I don't know what I think until I write it down, she said. Now, I just read that off Goodreads. I have never been able to remember that off the top of my head. But anyway, the reason why I quote that is because that's how I feel when I do my practice of journaling and it helps me to clarify my thoughts, what I'm feeling. It just comes out on the page and I never, ever, ever regret doing it, putting that pen to paper and making that time. But then I'll often find that weeks and months will go by where I open up the diary the journal and think, my goodness, it's been so long and this feels so good. Why don't I do this more often? Why don't I do this daily or weekly? Daily might be a bit ambitious. Um, You know, I have responsibilities just as we all have. In my case, I'm a parent and I don't give myself permission maybe or I procrastinate for some reason on doing this and I just feel like it would just be so helpful and yet... (laughs) You know, after all these years, you know, I may have about, I don't know, 10 journals and I love to go back to them. And I know you've spoken about this in the past, this theme, you know, about making time. So anything you'd like to share on that, any tips and tricks, I'd appreciate it. I wish you and your beautiful son, Tanner, a wonderful, wonderful end of the year break. Oh, I really want to be awesome and try and remember where where you guys are at on the psycho-spiritual wheel. And I really should know all this stuff by now after having listened to you for so many years. But, yeah, I guess I'm just really more here for the, um, no, I'm here for it all, but it's the psychological stuff that that you've really helped me with. And, you know, that gorgeous witchy stuff just, mm, yeah, makes it all just so fun and reminds me that we are a part of it all. Okay. See you later, Joe. Thanks again. And bye for now. Welcome to episode number 28 of the Joe DeVoe Show. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, but you can call me Joe. And I am here to uplift and support my fellow creatives, lovable weirdos, and makers of magic. And speaking of magic, we have two women, two separate women, who as far as I know, do not know each other from Sydney, Australia, contributing to today's episode. And I think that that is so wild and so cool, particularly because we just celebrated the solstice all around the world and Stav from Sydney. Stav, am I saying your name right? Is it Stav or Stav? 
You asked me where we are here in the Northern Hemisphere on the Wheel of the Year, and we just celebrated winter solstice, which means you just celebrated summer solstice. And I think this is so cool that this happens. If you walk the Wheel of the Year, it's really easy to remember what's happening on the opposite side of the planet because we are in perfect balance that way. The light and the dark is present at all times here on planet Earth. And so when we in the Northern Hemisphere are celebrating the longest night of the year on winter solstice, you in the Southern Hemisphere are celebrating the longest day of the year on summer solstice. And then when we're celebrating the spring equinox, you are celebrating the fall equinox and vice versa. Well, whether you're celebrating or not, it's happening. (laughs) One of my favorite things about the Wheel of the Year is it's a fact. The solar year is a fact. It's the way the light moves and shines on our planet and the way life responds to that. It's something that is consistent and reliable regardless of the weather, regardless of what mythology you ascribe to it, regardless of what magic you apply at the core there is the basic fact that sunlight presents itself this way on our planet. And I find that comforting, that just year after year, the wheel of the year turns in that way, and nature has its own clock. And always, when darkness exists, so too does the light. It's such a cool bit of symbolism beyond the literal state of it. Here in a few minutes, I'm going to get to an interview with Sheila Vijaraza that I recorded quite a long time ago and finally put together here to share with you at the end of 2022. Sheila, Sheila V, she is a professional psychic medium and the author of Brave, Courageously Live Your Truth. She is a psychic reader, a spiritual teacher, and a fascinating woman. But before we get to that... Let me address the voicemail that I just shared with you. And I will do that by saying, first of all, one can never sound like a wanker, quoting Joan Didion. Not possible. (laughs) Secondly, thank you so much for the super kind words and for supporting my work over the years. We go all the way back to the sad to sexy days, at least. And it's always nice to hear from you, although it's extra nice. For two reasons this time. Firstly, it's just great to hear your voice. I apologize if I mispronounced your name. This voicemail situation is truly amazing. Getting to hear you all instead of just talking at you is such a heartwarming pleasure for me. I hope everybody listening enjoys it too. And then also, I've just been saving this particular voicemail for a few weeks now because it was an outrageously delightful bit of spiritual confirmation for me. And I will tell you about that here in a minute. But before that, I want to answer your questions straight. Specifically about journaling as your prime psycho-spiritual practice. For those who don't know, psycho-spiritual, the way I use the term, it is the point where psychology and spirituality meet because I think they work together in a really beautiful way. I feel like when you are spiritually healthy, it really lends itself well to mental health and vice versa. And I like to talk about spirituality in a very practical, can-do way, which journaling absolutely is. 
it's also very popular. And when I think something is really popular in the way that many content creators and influencers swear by it and say it's life-changing, it's the secret to their success or their happiness, there's a pressure that you can feel sometimes to get on board with a practice like journaling, for example, and doing it every single day because that's what you're supposed to do. I actually do think that a daily practice is sometimes easier than a weekly practice because it's like brushing your teeth. If you brush your teeth every single morning when you wake up, you just do it automatically. You don't have to think about brushing your teeth. But if you brushed your teeth every week on a Saturday, you might have to think about it. So if it's something you're really committed to doing, it might be worth experimenting with doing it every single day at the same exact time every day for a very, very short period of time. So maybe you get up 15 minutes early every single day so you can grab your favorite whatever, coffee, tea, lemon water, whatever it is for you, a smoothie, and go hide out for 15 minutes and do some journaling. It takes a long time, many, many weeks. The standard belief is 21 days to form a habit. I think it takes a little bit longer than that, maybe four to six weeks. But I feel like that is a length of time that a lot of people can commit to when they're really, really serious and determined to try something. You can commit to that as an experiment, do it for four to six weeks, establish the habit and then maybe put a note in your journal when those four to six weeks are up to reassess. Is this adding to my life? Do I look forward to doing this? Do I get a little thrill when I sit down with my journal or do I draw a blank? Do I feel dread? Once the habit is established, then you can really get a sense of what it's doing for you and it should be doing something for you in my opinion. It definitely should be an enhancement to your life and not something that you're doing because you feel like you should be doing it. The first time I listened to your voicemail, what immediately jumped out at me was that you clearly love journaling and you see real benefit in doing it. So the million dollar question is, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing it? And I think that that is worth journaling on because it could be any number of reasons. It could just be that you haven't made it a habit yet and so stronger neural pathways keep pulling you off track or it could be that you have a judgment on it of some kind like it's a frivolous thing to do or it's just not a priority or it's selfish or impractical or it might be that it feels so good because it's not part of your regular routine. It's something special that you enjoy returning to you on occasion. I think sometimes there is real joy in forgetting so that we can remember, if you know what I mean. It's like a long distance friend you only hear from a couple of times a year and then you have such fun when you finally connect and you vow that you're never gonna let another six months go by between phone calls and then Another six months goes by between phone calls and you both start to feel guilty about that when maybe neither one of you needs to feel guilty about it at all. Maybe every six months is your groove. 
Maybe that's what it's like with your journal. Maybe that's your groove. Maybe you turn to it when you're inspired. Maybe you turn to it when you need a bit of catharsis. Maybe you turn to it when you need to work something out. And that is the reason why when you pick it up later, it's so fun to read through and you see real insights happening there. With any psycho-spiritual practice, to me, the question is, is it serving you? Is it serving you or are you shooting all over yourself? Because if you're shooting all over yourself, it's shit. Throw it out. <laughs> and the irony is journaling actually can help you figure this out. Like if you get really, really honest with yourself. I highly recommend checking out The Artist Way by Julia Cameron if you've never done a full 12-week program, which The Artist Way is. This book is laid out like a 12-week program. It's a recovery program to recover your creativity. And the thing that she has you do every day of this program, each week is really interesting and topical. Every week there's something called an artist date, but I think the real heart of it is the daily practice of morning pages. Morning pages freak some people out because the way Julia Cameron lays it out is you're supposed to do five longhand morning pages every single day. And a lot of blocks come up around this for people or people don't feel like they're capable of it. Maybe they have a physical disability that gets in the way. I think there are a lot of modifications that you can make even if Julia Cameron would not approve. Something that I like to do is mind mapping where you just make little thought bubbles and you link them together and you write down associated words that's a different approach to doing it you might decide to do three pages instead of five or to do a voicemail instead of writing it out by hand I do think there's some magic in writing five pages longhand every single day as a dedicated practice if this is the practice for you because something happens. You get into a flow. You get into almost a kind of like meditative or channeling state where first like you blow through a lot of those monkey mind thoughts. Your thoughts are thinking thoughts and it's a bunch of like grievances and repetitious weirdness and you get that all out. So a kind of like purge happens at first and you'll see when you flip back through old morning page journals that that portion is so repetitious and tiresome. So you really get to know your inner dialogue that way. But then something magical happens around, I don't know, it's probably different for everyone, around page three, maybe somewhere in the middle, and inspiration strikes. You get into this flow and beautiful things start channeling through. And that is worth experimenting with if it interests you to see if you can get there. I really love doing it. I really enjoy it, but it's something that I have done in groups before and I know not everyone does. But I would recommend checking it out if you're really if you're really committed to the idea of a journaling practice. I don't want to suck up too much time here before getting into Sheila's interview, but I also want to say that that voicemail with some serious spiritual confirmation. I'm going to do a dedicated episode about stepping to the edge and walking in faith, which is something that I've learned to do this year. I for sure will do a dedicated episode on this. I'm promising you all that now because this is a longer story than I can tell right now. But I was in a meditative channeling situation 
and very receptive. I have this very cool groove going with my soul and I got what a lot of people would describe as a spiritual download, not in answer to anything. I didn't ask a question, but I've just gotten into this faith walk with my own soul, with my own spirit guides, whatever's coming through when I'm in that channeling meditative state. And the download was this, no more interviews. The interviews are over. And when I came out of the meditative state, I was like, huh, okay, all right. Well, I've gotten into this place of trust with this inner voice, this higher wisdom, however you want to call it. And it has not steered me wrong ever since I've learned to really trust and get into flow with this. So I guess no more interviews. And then that morning, it couldn't have been 10 or 15 minutes later, I got your voicemail <laughs> saying that you prefer the solo episodes. And then I got an email from someone else saying the exact same thing. And I just laughed. I just laughed and laughed and laughed. I did not need the confirmation, but it was really delightful and fun to get it. So thank you for echoing the voice of my spirit guides. I thought that was pretty wonderful. And yeah, this is my last interview, at least until I get some other future guidance. I don't know, but this is what it's going to be for a while. I did not know when I changed the name of the podcast from Hippie Witch to The Joe DeVoe Show that this is where we will end up. I've just been kind of quiet and laying low and going where my intuition takes me and a new program is coming through and I'm just kind of letting it instead of making it happen. It's just kind of happening through me, if that makes sense. <laughs> And so I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And I've been excited to tell you all this. I'm excited. And a new adventure. We're going back to my roots, really. Going back to those early YouTube videos that I used to do on Major Arcana TV for a long time. And then on another channel, just Joanna DeVoe. This podcast started out with solo episodes. So it kind of feels like coming home in a way. I'm very comfortable with it and excited to hear what you all think. Hopefully you'll like it. So this interview with Sheila, this is going to be a fun one to end with because this is for anybody who dreams of quitting their day job to become a professional psychic or medium or spiritual support of some kind, or if you're just someone who is curious about getting a reading from or working with someone like that. I think these are things that people think about at the end of the year, so this is good timing. She briefly talks about her experience as a Sri Lankan woman of color growing up in Sydney, Australia, and then moving into a male-dominated field and corporate culture. One thing I really love about Sheila and this conversation is the way that she rebrands the dark night of the soul as the dark night of courage. That's a theme with her, being brave and that's a theme with me, so that felt really resonant with kind of the ongoing message of this podcast, and she was gracious enough to share a little bit about her journeys with ayahuasca, which I always find so fascinating, and this completely caught me off guard. I did not expect us to go there, but we went there, and it was so good, so interesting. 
So let's get into it. The very last, at least for a long while, interview on the Joe DeVoe Show with the lovely Sheila Vijaraza. Hi, Sheila. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Joanna. It is fantastic to be here. You are so speaking my language with your book, Brave, Courageously Live Your Truth. This is something I talk about all the time because it is the biggest lesson of my life. I feel like I'm always kind of standing on the precipice of being courageous or not and kind of daring myself to go for it. So what made you do that? Why did you write a book on that subject? You know, Joanna, I feel this story resonates with a lot of newly spiritually awakened men and women. I had a corporate career and I was lost and confused for a long time denying my spirituality. So I became a chartered accountant, climbed the corporate ladder. I had a limited paradigm of what success looked like. So I had the sparkly job title and the salary and I worked really hard and it was a, it was a job I did love. However, there was something inside of me that was speaking to me constantly about my spirituality, around my gifts and abilities. You know, in my spare time, I read books on astrology when I was in my teen years. In my 20s, I loved esoteric and metaphysics books and crystals. And so I was always drawn to it. And why brave? Because it took courage and bravery to leave the old version of myself behind and to really honor my gifts. And to honor my gifts and start working with them and to really believe that I could do oracle readings, to believe I could be on TV as a psychic reader, I could go to the fairs, do shotgun kind of really fast readings, I could study all those modalities. And let's be honest, Joanna, I don't know what your thoughts are, but a lot of people think this is unusual. And I found it really hard. That vulnerability that you need at the beginning of your spiritual path is really challenging. And I personally think, it takes bravery to honor your spiritual gifts. And in my book, I don't even call it the spiritual path. I call it the courageous path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's funny. I worked for eight years as a coach and I would often end up working with people that had a lot of corporate success. And I felt like we were coming at each other from two opposite directions because I've always been a very, very spiritual person, very comfortable in that realm. And for me, courage was about moving toward greater like mastery of the physical 3D world, money, you know, (laughs) becoming successful, being responsible, being personally responsible. So at first, when those people would come to me, I'm like, what do you want from me? Like, you look like the picture of success. And what a lot of them wanted to do was leave the corporate world and start spiritual careers, careers, maybe doing something similar to what you're doing. But I think it's so interesting that it actually requires courage to move in either direction because we create these identities for ourselves. We surround ourselves with people that support that identity. And then we feel kind of trapped when we're ready to step out. Absolutely. You know, and a lot of the Western world values perfectionism highly having corporate careers, you know, getting degrees. And these don't really align with intuition, spirituality, you know, trusting ourselves, healing. Only post-COVID are healers really honoured and and looked at differently. But for a long time, I don't think people really respect what we do. And so we've had to dig deep and respect ourselves and really find our own authenticity. 
And that's really hard to do when there is no template of what that looks like. Yeah. And we may not have had parents that show us that or teachers. And, and that's why your first spiritual teacher, finding that first teacher is so important because they are the guiding light at that really, you know, that that challenging dark night kind of transition that we go through. Mm-hmm. I love, I saw you call it the dark night of courage. And I thought that was so interesting because usually I hear people talk about the dark night of the soul and I don't know if you're talking about two different things. Is the dark night of courage something else, or are we? No, it's to- the same. But I, but again, I, I'm like, it takes courage to go into the dark night. Yes. You know. Yes. Um, I, I, there's one part I love writing that chapter. I had to go through a dark night to write that chapter in my book. In fact, <laughs> and and one part I, I dissect the dark night of the soul down into its different components. I'm highly analytical being an accountant by trade. I did an MBA, was an ex-finance director. So there's that strategic, you know, analytical part of my brain. And I just sat one day and I was like, okay, what are the different parts of the dark night? And one part of the dark night is the fact that we don't want to have it. So what does resisting the dark night look like? It means not changing the job when we know it's time to quit. It's not leaving that toxic relationship or the relationship we've outgrown, even though our gut and our clear knowing says it's time for it to be over. And so we resist the pain around separation and leaving things behind. And it takes courage to enter the dark night and to go through it and emerge the other side transformed. Like the whole dark night, I think, is so courageous. Mm. Is this related to the courageous leap? Yeah. So I find the dark night you could have after the leap or before the leap. And and my book's filled with all these stories of people that have navigated their spiritual path. Like I knew that my story was like one way of doing the path. There are 20 other stories, narrations I've used through storytelling techniques to share many different ways of quitting a job, of honoring your Reiki abilities, your abilities to channel or your abilities to, you know, read tarot. And most people have left this world and there is always a call for a leap, a courageous leap. And one of my early courageous leap is was I was, I had a corporate job and I was so unhappy in it. And I just discovered I was a medium. And I remember thinking, do I go to the Arthur Finlay College in England and study mediumship? It's like the best college in the world to study this art. And I remember it took it took bravery to book the flights and to book to go to the college and then explain to my family what I was doing. They were like, you know, what is this thing you're doing? Why are you going there? Explain to friends that I was studying mediumship. Like I didn't really want to talk about it. I felt shy, ashamed, embarrassed. Like it didn't make sense to me. So how could I even explain it? So our spiritual path always is calling for leaps. And then once you take one leap, you're going to have to take more, but you'll be supported. We're always supported. Isn't that interesting that something you would feel so called to can also bring up so much shame and embarrassment? Well, it does because especially the early part of the path, we're operating from really old belief sets. And the biggest wounding is we don't want to be abandoned by a family. Like we as humans, we want to belong to anyone, even if it doesn't serve us. So a lot of shame comes up because we're scared that our friends and our family will abandon us. And we haven't yet kind of made that new group of spiritual soulmate friends yet. We're kind of still, it's still starting for us. 
Yeah. Yeah. I saw you say something, talk about black sheep syndrome and even just, yeah. <laughs> just seeing yeah. that term made me laugh. Cause I was like, I know what this is. I know what this is. <laughs> Did you feel yeah. like a black sheep in your family? Oh, 100%, 100%. Cause I'm a Sri Lankan woman. I'm only getting married this November, but I'm, I'm in my mid forties. So I was always a late bloomer, you know, and a lot of wounded healers we're late bloomers because we spend the first part of our life trying to understand ourselves right or we're making decisions that quite aren't in alignment with what society thinks is good and right we're in a real big learning phase and learning can be very messy and so I felt like the black sheep because I wanted to have a career I didn't really want to settle down I was very independent and outspoken I'm part of a culture that you know at times women are more quiet you know, just as a cultural thing, I'm Sri Lankan. I'm born into a country that's Caucasian Western. I ended up being a finance director in a male, that's a very male-dominated field. I'm a woman of colour at a board level. You know, there's so many ways I didn't fit in. And even, and and here's the kicker, Joanna, like even when I was in spiritual groups, I still felt like a black sheep because I was the corporate one. Mm. I had a business career. So Sometimes I feel like we may never fit in anywhere and it doesn't matter. I've learned to find a way to find commonality. It doesn't matter where I am. I now lean into friendships and connections because if we're used to feeling isolated, we'll always find a reason to isolate ourselves. Yeah. And And I think it's that thing that makes you different that can bring up all those feelings. But ultimately, when you embrace it, it's that difference that makes you unique and be able to fulfill your purpose in a really special way. Well, it's it's a unique blueprint. Exactly. That is where our purpose lies. And we so, for so long deny our originality. Like I'm, I'm mentoring coach and teach my awakening intuition program to a lot of corporate women, a lot of women that you know, I just newly awakened to the spiritual path and I do it in a very structured kind of way, modules, a lot of models. I dissect down how to meet your spirit guides, the five stages of meeting them. Because I've done an MBA, I'm very logical. And for a lot of time, I thought, oh, I've got to teach it the way everyone else is. But I thought, well, I'm unique. I've had this really corporate career. I've done a master's. I'm very analytical. Well, I thought, well, maybe my unique gift is to do it this way. Mm. And so everyone has something special about them. I mentor and coach women to get their spiritual businesses up and running. And in the first few sessions, I'm always looking at how unique they are and how I can bring that out in their website, in their branding, in their messaging. And a lot of the time they say to me, oh, am I really that special? And I'm like, oh, it just it's so obvious how special you are. But for so long, that special thing, they've been made to feel wrong about it. Yeah. And you having so much success in the corporate world and then having that finance background, it's like, why throw all that away? There must be a purpose in that, or you can give it meaning and bring it to what you do now. And I love what you're saying because it gives structure to something I think that can feel kind of like, woo, very flaky and out there when you give it a structure and you're like, no, here are the steps. This is how it works. I think it makes it really accessible, especially for people who are in a corporate setting and maybe feel self-conscious about gravitating towards something like psychic reading. Yeah, 100%. The same week I was offered to be finance director at Simon & Schuster in Australia, that same week I was offered to go and read on psychic TV. I was offered to be an in-house reader. 
And I remember thinking, how do I do both? Like, I can't be a psychic medium on Australian television and be a finance director. And I was so conflicted or weak about which I say yes to. I thought, how do I say yes to this job that I really did want? And then by the end of the week, I realized I, I could say yes to both. Like, we feel like if you're one thing, you can't be in another. Mm. And age where you can be a coach and a director and dance and run whatever side gig you want you know we're many things and but we sometimes relate as like we can't shine we can't be everything and we can you mentioned your family and being Sri Lankan are they very religious what do they think about this psychic business you know something I think with having family that loves you dearly when they see you happy they become happy. And I think there's a level of love that can exist in a family. However, I think I was really upset, depressed, anxious for many years because I couldn't make sense of my intuitive abilities. So my mom's very spiritual. That's who I have the gifts from. You know, my father has just wanted to see me happy and loving what I do. So I think as I grew more into feeling comfortable with my abilities, what I noticed is my family did as well. And I think a really big part of the spiritual path and starting to work in your spiritual business is it's not not caring what other people think. It's not that. It's more just doing it and not worrying about are people okay with it because those that truly love you will stay. They'll Mm. stay and they'll respect you. It kind of goes back to the black sheep syndrome. A hundred percent. You know, and in my book I write, no one actually ever calls anyone a black sheep. We call ourselves that. Yeah. Yes. Like that's the that's the kicker. Like it that's the that's the inside. It's like we think we're the black sheep, but we've actually called we've labeled ourselves the black sheep. So if we've labeled ourselves the black sheep, we can change that story. So I no longer feel like the black sheep of the family. I'm just someone in the family who's fully expressed. And it might be different, but I'm no longer the black sheep. I'm someone who's living on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I think scapegoating is a real thing that can happen, but people do tend to identify themselves as the black sheep when they experience some of that. And I've had that moment where I've called myself that to my family and they're like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? And yeah, yeah. They, they don't see us as the black sheep. They, they really, they're just like, you're just quirky. You're just different. Yeah. Like, and oh, then love quirky. It quirky. That yeah. is the word. Yes. Yeah. So it's really limiting to see yourself that way. You end up bringing it to different areas of your life outside your family. It starts to become your identity. Yeah. And then we can change that story really quickly. Mm-hmm. What for you was, was there a moment when you realized whatever attraction you had to this life of working as a spiritual teacher, a psychic medium, when did you realize, oh gosh, I think I have to do something about this. This feels like a calling and it might disrupt my current situation. Like when did you start feeling it more as a calling as opposed to an interest? Yeah, you know, I find with myself and even with my students, I started to do more and more workshops and read more and more books. And I started to get a lot of feedback from my own life that I wanted to spend more time doing this kind of work than not. So I'd get to the weekend and how did I want to spend my time? So time is energy and money is energy. After work, you know, where I spent my time after work was all energy as well. And it was always around doing intuition workshops It was about reading books. It was about studying this kind of thing. Mm. 
And that was already so much feedback that this is something that's going to be significant in my life. After I did my first major intuition workshop with my first teacher, I could see, feel, and know very, very much. I have a very psychic person. And I had a spontaneous kind of awakening where my gifts were always there. However, once I owned it in this workshop class, it was like I started to get a lot of messages from spirit around me. And that, for me, I had this feeling in my belly and in my heart that my life doesn't make sense if I don't work with this. Hmm. It's this full body knowing called clear cognizant knowing and it runs through your body and it's like uh, maybe when you meet the right guy or right girl and you can't stop thinking about them and the relationship with a soulmate feels different to every other relationship. It's that kind of feeling. It's this knowing this is what I'm meant to do and it did kind of happen in a moment when I left that workshop. I was driving home and I thought this is it. I still had many more years of training, but it was this, it was an embodied feeling, an embodiment of, I don't know what my life looks like, but it's going to be this. And I tell you, Joanna, I've had more miracles happen in my life in the last five years than I've ever had. I got a publishing book deal. My book's available globally. I'm speaking on stages now about spirituality, you know, writing my second book. I coach and mentor. I have so much freedom in my life. Things have changed so much. You got engaged in a bikini, looking beautiful. I actually, (laughs) I I choked up watching that video. I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for a love story. Oh my God. And and you know something, Joanna, you know, I was in toxic relationships, but I wasn't in, I was not in healthy relationships before then. You know why? I didn't love myself. You don't love yourself. You can't be in healthy relationships. The health of the relationship is, it was always going to be a little bit diminished. And I finally, when I owned my spiritual gifts and my purpose, I started to love myself. And then when I loved myself, my vibration lifted and it was inevitable I was going to attract a loving man that loved himself and that knew how to love me. We were engaged within four months of meeting each other. We were, we were living together eight weeks after we met. We found a, a place together. We're, we're doing IVF now, so we're trying for a child. Things have changed so much. I think I could feel that in the post. I think I could feel how beautiful and precious and deeply in love you were. It's something about it. It wasn't necessarily in the video. I don't know. I just got the sense like, oh my gosh, this was a long time coming and this is extremely beautiful. Oh, thank you, Joanna. Yeah, absolutely. It was a long time coming. And for all the women and men out there, I've never gave up on my vision of true love. You know, as a, as a medium and a psychic reader, I read timelines when I clients come to me and I can always feel the energy of love there. However, I always, so often I see the block with the client that they don't feel worthy of it. And so just doing reading after reading, literally thousands of readings in 10 years, I, I, I learned myself as a spiritual teacher and a medium myself, I had to, I had to stop and do big work on myself. And this is another thing about the spiritual path you'll have to stop and do some deep healing work on yourself because we are a vibration. And unless we lift it, we, we're only going to attract what our vibration level is. So if we're not operating at a high frequency, we're always going to attract things that aren't always um, what we want. And so I stopped and did so much work. So you're right, Jana. Yeah, it was a long time coming <laughs> and I'm getting married in like two months and I can't wait. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. What does that look like for you when you're doing a reading? How is 
information coming through? How do you experience that? I experience it in so many ways. I'm clairvoyant, so I see in my third eye. But my feeling and knowing is very strong. And I teach this in my course as well about how to really understand who the spirit guides are around you. One of the first hallmarks of a spiritual awakening is starting to perceive energy around you. And most people come to me and say, who are my guides? Do I have guides around me? Can you tell me what they're saying? And there's a time in your life where you didn't even know you had guides. So that's one of the first hallmarks. If you start knowing you've got spirit guides, it means your energies become sensitive, right? It means you're also ready to start meeting them. So when I do readings quite often, I will speak to the guides. I'll hear in my ear. They'll speak to me. So I'll hear in my inner ear messages. I'll get a knowing, like claircognizant knowing about an ancestor if they come into my field. And they generally, the ancestors are very chatty. They're very excited that the client's there working on themselves, going through a transition, or the ancestors want to support through something challenging the client's going through. Um, And quite often I'll ask the client what they want to work on, whether it is love or life purpose or career. And a lot of people come to me when they're going through a transition. So I'll read through different scenarios for them. There's always one that will float to the surface as the brave way forward. But it's really speaking to the guides, feeling, knowing them. And I use all my psychic senses. And I feel like when I work with clients, they also get an activation. So when you sit with a teacher or a medium, they activate you. So I feel like I'm always working to help the client lift their vibration too. Hmm. That's fascinating. Do you feel that there is a difference that you can clearly discern between someone's higher self their guides, their ancestors, do these things come through in different ways to you? Yeah, so spirit guides, the ancestor spirit guides and spirit guides of the light, light beings, the many different guides exist. They are an intermediary between us and the higher selves. So sometimes we can't always connect in with the higher self. It can be sometimes challenging if we're in a low vibration or anxious state. And sometimes the spirit guides are an aspect of higher self. And they'll come through and deliver the message in a way the client can understand. So that's why guides present, it's but it's because it's a, there's a relatability. Even if they're a light being guide, they might take on a form. Mm. It might be a female form because we need to work more with our yin energy or a masculine form because it's right now time for more hard work or time to get moving or time to, you know, get a little bit more resilient and courageous in life. So the guides will present in a way, even ancestors, when they pass over, they go back to pure light and energy form, yet they'll come to me looking like they were on earth so that the client can understand, oh yeah, that was, that is my grandmother. You know, she's around me, even though grandmother doesn't have that human form anymore. So I'm always channeling from higher self, my higher self, However, the way the information comes through is through the intermediary of the guides. Oh, this brings up something that I wonder about a lot that I mean in no offensive way, but I often wonder if people who are mediums, if they're giving identifying information, like your grandma who passed is here with me now, I always wonder, well, is it really the grandma or are they tapping into the memories that the person they're reading for is holding. Do you know what I mean? Because then it's like, yes, my grandma did wear that sweater. And yes, oh my gosh, only I would know that she used to say that. So I'm always like, either way, it's very 
fascinating and exciting, but I always wonder, like, how would we know? How would we know? Do you have an it's, answer? It's a, valid, it's a valid question. They teach us at the Arthur Finlay College and many medium mediumistic teachers will teach you how to sit in a deep meditation and bring through the soul alive now versus reading the auric field. And when you read the auric field, you are reading the memory. Hmm. So when you read it now, so if I read your auric field, Joanna, I'll look into your heart and I'll feel a memory of a past over loved one. But if I step away and I read the energy around us, I will get the live, eternally living spirit. And the way that I always bring through is sometimes the grandmother will talk about what happened in your life last week. And how would she know that? Because she's alive right now and I have her spirit with me. And, and as a medium, it's my job to create an energy where you can feel your grandmother's here, not a memory. You can feel she's here. So everyone's psychic, everyone's intuitive. And with a reading, if you are open and your psychic senses are open, you will also feel your grandmother around you. You'll feel her guiding light. And another piece of evidence that the guides are alive around us and not memories is you get signs. You know, spirit uses energy, the frequency of electricity to communicate. Flickering lights, repetition of numbers, animals coming to you, misplaced objects. You start to see the aliveness of spirit around you through signs. And that by no means is a memory that is right now in this time dimension. Does it matter how thick with emotion the person is that you're reading for? For example, if they come to you and they do want to, let's just keep talking about grandma. They want to connect with grandma, but what if they're very, very emotional about it? Does that interfere? Is that something that you have to help them through to be able to get a clear reading? No, I mean, if they're very emotional, look, I always get the link regardless. I don't let the client's energy interfere with mine. And I teach this in my awakening course, how to protect your energy and have more sovereignty. When a client cries, I love it because it means there's a release that they need. And sometimes people can't cry in private. They can't grieve or it's too overwhelming. And, you know, you probably know this as a coach. They come to you and it's just like, oh, I just want to feel sad with you. I want to cry. I want to have memories. I, I want to, you know, I feel like people tell psychics their deepest, darkest secrets because for some reason I think psychics create such a sacred space you know, I've had people share the most deepest things with me and I've held such a space of integrity because I'm thinking, wow, like you have no one to speak to mm. and here I am and I can be that for you. And yeah. if, if you can leave today feeling healed or calmer or feeling more, you've released a bit more grief around your mother's passing or any guilt you're still holding on to, if I can be that for you, I will be. Most mediums and psychics are very comfortable with emotions I think out in the world, we're not comfortable with crying or depression or shame and guilt, yet these are real emotions that we feel every day. It's so important that we get comfortable with the reality of life. You know, it's mm -hmm. messy. Mm -hmm. I don't know that you identify as a coach, but it seems like there's an element of that that you're bringing as opposed to some psychic mediums that I've seen on TV, for example, where they will stand on stage and just really anybody can connect with the dead loved one. And it's really just about maybe offering some comforting words and then moving on to the next person. Whereas a lot of what you do in your book and in this toolkit that you outline that I saw that looks pretty awesome, it seems to be oriented toward 
moving through a transition or taking courageous action. It seems to be very coaching-like. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, I mean, I've done oh, look, I've done thousands of readings in, in 10 years. I did all the psychic fairs and TV and I worked in a crystal shop and did 10, 12 readings in one day back to back. And I just found week after week people coming back to me with the same issues. And I thought I haven't quit my corporate job just to listen to people still repeat patterns. So I went and did a whole, in addition to all my spiritual studies, I trained to be an inner child therapist, trauma-informed facilitator. I've studied executive coaching. You know, I now coach in the corporate world and I use all my intuition, psychic, oracle abilities, and I combine that with mentoring. So I have a transformation program that runs for three months and I definitely use all my psychic abilities, but I I get change in your life in three months because it's no point going back to psychics week after week for readings when you're not in life and making any changes. And Joanna, this was me. I was stuck for over a decade, more than that, in the same patterns, going to psychic readers, hoping they'll tell me I'm going to meet my soulmate next week hoping that life was going to get easier because I suffered from depression and anxiety when I was young. And I realized I needed to actually do change my life. I needed to, a psychic couldn't help me. So I'm very much a, I'd call it, um, you know, psychic mediumship coaching transformation sessions. It's definitely channeled, but I work with the guides to transform people's lives. They walk away knowing steps forward. And then if they want to invest more, they can work with me in my extended program and I teach in my awakening intuition program, I teach how to channel because if you can channel for yourself, that's the most powerful thing you can ever do. Trust your own. There are guides working with you, giving you instructions about your life. You don't always have to go to a psychic medium. So I teach channeling. I'm all about empowerment, all about empowerment. That is so empowering. It's you can give a man a fish or you can teach him how to fish. And I love that you do that because I think people develop some kind of dependence on psychics, a psychic addiction, if that's a thing, when what they really need is some kind of healing and empowerment. They need to move through fear. And I love that you bridge the gap between those two things. Oh, absolutely. And and I think the modern way for a lot of even women I coach in their healing business, the new way is to create this modality and it's always around transformation. It's not to rely on the healer. It's to allow the healer to lift the vibration and then we start making changes in our life. I think a lot of psychic mediums are moving into that space. I think they're realizing that old paradigm of bringing through a deceased relative, speaking to them and leaving and getting on with your day. That's kind of really from the 1990s. Mm. That that doesn't work anymore. It's taking it from a parlor trick to something that really serves the person's life moving forward. Very much so. Very well said. Yeah. Can we back all the way back to when you were born? Because I'm so curious about your background being, you were not born in Sri Lanka. You were born in Sydney, Australia. Is that right? Yeah, I was born in Sydney. Um, My dad migrated here in 1975, I was born in 1976 and, you know, I find it's interesting. My destiny was to end up here and, you know, I'm Australian through and through. It's it's just who I am. But, you know, being a woman of colour in a white country just allows for like a different upbringing, a different experience because you Mm -hmm. just want to fit in as a child. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then just 
the way you look is not allowing that to happen totally on the playground, I would imagine. So it maybe forces a bit of character to come through. <laughs> yeah, I think I developed a really good sense of humor because I thought I've got to be different and how, you know, most people are looking for how can I be liked. So I think I, I learned resilience, courage early in life. And I was very sensitive, probably like you, Joanna, I was hypersensitive, very psychic child. And so I felt like I absorbed a lot as a child and and struggled a little bit. I struggled with depression and anxiety. Probably at 12 was my first bout of depression. And that's quite a young age to not really understand your emotions and to, mm. and to be wondering why do I have these emotions I don't like. However, it's made me into such a better coach and mentor because I've great empathy for anyone that's had bouts of depression and anxiety. Yeah. Um, you know, and we can overcome it. There's definitely things to look at. There's so many healing modalities out there that we can move into a place of empowerment. But yeah, my, my childhood was definitely, it, it was a traditional Australian childhood with ethnic parents that were doing their best, you know? Yeah. Migrants. yeah. I heard you mention just in passing inner child work and immediately thinking of 12 year old Sheila, isn't it great that you can go back and do some of that just for yourself, like within your own heart and mind and body? That's why I trained to be an inner child therapist, because out of all the modalities of healing, I found that the most effective. Um, I've actually experienced plant medicine, uh, a lot of different plant medicine, and that alongside my inner child work have been probably the things that have transformed my mindset, my emotional resilience, my physical body has changed because of it. The inner child work is so important because until we've taken back our inner child, we still operate as an adolescent or a child oh, like yeah. we're still emotionally unregulated or we get angry and we have outbursts of emotions and I realized for many years it's just because I had an unloved inner child that just didn't feel worthy of love you know mm. how did that change your physical body you know one of my early teachers said Sheila always have a strong body because the body houses the soul and a lot of people on the spiritual path get very obsessed with meditation and leaving and the body and channeling and, and all these metaphysic energy concepts. But unless we have a strong physical body, we can't be in action in the world. So I've become more disciplined around my physical routine and ensuring my energy state is high. I, I, I mentor women to make sure they have a strong morning routine. If you own your morning, you own your day. So I, I do weights, I run, I, I have a strong regime at the gym that I keep myself physically well. And then, you know, with you have a strong spine, you have a strong core, you've you got to have a strong back when you channel. You've got to hold energy. When you sit in ayahuasca, you've got to sit for five, three, five hours holding a link to spirit. You need a strong body to do that. So we can't neglect our body. It's very important on this physical plane to not just think about emotional, mental, but think about our physical well-being as well. You're very adventurous. I'm starting to put together. Ayahuasca is not for the faint of heart. That is. Oh, not it's not. <laughs> it's not for the. It, that is. That is the true statement, Joanna. It's not for the faint of heart. It's. It's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done to go and face my shadow. I've done it about you know twenty times, and every time I do it, it's like. A, a new part of me that I don't want to look up comes up. And I'm always so grateful on the other side of the journey because I've gone through the darkness to the other side, to the light. And I think when we can really learn to sit with all our uncomfortable emotions, I tell you it's the most liberating thing you'll ever do. 
Mm. Maybe is there any chance you can give us a little, I was going to say taste, but maybe that's the wrong word. I was going to say a taste of that experience for people that are ayahuasca curious, but too afraid to go there themselves. What does that feel like for you? Yeah. So, okay. So several things. The first is you're called to do it like anything in life. So there's no, don't feel forced to do it. Don't feel like you have to do it. I first heard about it in 2014. I was so curious, but immediately fear came up in my body. There must've been a knowing that I'd be doing it and it would be life-changing, but I wasn't ready for three years. And only in 2017, I went to Peru into the Amazon jungle and I did five ceremonies with shamans there. So the doors only opened for me in 2017. So sometimes it might take you a little while for an opportunity. And then I find synchronicity will take you there. Before that you do the medicine, it's important to have done a little bit of meditation because you do need to have access to breath, being with your breath, being able to hold a link to spirit and being able to surrender. So I recommend some sort of meditation practice. I think definitely speak to your community. It's always through referrals. So speak to people in your community about doing it. Don't go in and do it alone. I actually went in to the Amazon on my own and did it. (laughs) I just don't recommend that. I didn't really have anyone here to speak to. And I was just like, all I did was read books and there wasn't really even podcasts back then on it. It was really, I I downloaded a couple of books on my Kindle. I looked up a load of YouTube videos. So get informed about what you're doing. Intention setting is so important. And, And there's a great podcast with Jack Canfield and he wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. I actually listened to it recently And he said, there's some important, there's three great questions you can ask before you're going into the medicine. And the first question is, show me what I've become. And in some ways it's show me what I've become that doesn't serve me. Mm -hmm. The second is help me merge with my higher self so that I might know my purpose. And the third question is help heal my broken heart. And I, I tell you, those questions really cover a lot of things and I personally find as far as in the journey, there's so many different ways to have the journey. So it's really an infinite amount of possibilities. For me, you do see fractals of light. It is like a psychedelic, you know, light show. There's the voice of God that's spoken to me many times. I've physically seen like a video, my spirit guide speaking to me. I've had instructions about my future. And I've also been shown memories from my childhood that I didn't understand and as children, we have experiences at the ages of four, five, six, seven. We don't we don't get what's going on. And they took me back into those experiences and said, this is actually what did happen. This is the story you made up. You know, you really are loved. Waves of emotion come through your body. They say one cup of ayahuasca is like doing 10 years of therapy. And I would agree. I have heard that. Yeah. I don't yeah. particularly feel called toward that, but there are other plant medicines that I have experience Mm. that are very gentle and lovely and I think there is some really interesting unique relationship between humans and plants that we've cut ourselves off from or we have been cut off from maybe it's not advantageous to the powers that be for people to be like tuned into all of this stuff I don't know why we would cut ourselves off from that but if you go back to many different indigenous cultures, they have these relationships. So I had no idea Jack Canfield talked about that. I love his book, Success Principles. It's a really good one for anybody listening that's curious about him. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not likely the kind of person you think that would talk about ayahuasca. He runs a retreat center, I think, in Costa Rica called Rhythmia. You know, so many conscious people are leaning towards these alternative therapies because they're realizing talk therapy does work. A lot of, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and the inner child. And then we hit a ceiling. And then that ceiling tends to be into the spiritual dimensions. Yeah. And so if you're really looking for a level of transformation in this lifetime, it's it's without a doubt you're going to enter the spiritual dimensions. I mean, that is where so many conscious leaders are going. They may not talk about it because, again, in a patriarchal society, it doesn't make sense because it's not evidential, it's not scientifically researched. But, again, you've got Joe Dispenza who's doing a lot of research and he speaks about it in a very scientific, logical way. I'm excited when I hear people speak about things like ayahuasca and and holotropic breathing and the Wim Hof, you know, Wim Hof ice baths and all of these different holistic tools that I think give us superpowers that allows us to access our superpowers. Yeah. I think Michael Pollan has really done a lot to to bring a more scientific approach, a more sober approach to it. You know, he kind of went in as a skeptic and then has really become an advocate, I think, for plant medicine very unexpectedly to himself. And I think I've been on a personal development slash spiritual path for over 30 years now. It started when I was a teenager. And what I have found to be true is that we all learn together, like the greater community tends to go through phases together, like everybody's doing shadow work all of a sudden. Now we're all into inner child work. Now it's plant medicine. Oh, it's all about the body. The body keeps the score. And these conversations happen and spread. And when I think about that, it's really beautiful because you get a sense of this greater community experiencing and sharing these things and evolving together. Is that something that you can relate to? Oh, 100%. The humanity is evolving at an accelerated rate right now. And it's a very exciting time. You know, for anyone that wants to launch this spiritual business, now's the time to do it. You'll be very busy in the next 10, 15 years because people are going to be, you know, they're not enough healers on the planet working right now. Like we think when you're in the healing community, all you know is healers. and <laughs> You think that it's saturated and flooded, but we actually don't have enough for 7 billion people. So more and more modalities are going to show up. We're going to recycle through um, and revisit, oh, you know, the body keeps score and, you know, trauma in the body. Like trauma is very on vogue right now. And it's fantastic yeah. because, you know, for so long, no one wanted to recognize this trauma or epigenetically that this trauma, we've had wars, we've had, you know, we've had natural disasters, we've had trauma passed down through family lines. So there's, again, another ceiling of healing you can do until you start looking at your past and your mother's past and your father's past and healing your mother wound and your father wound, you're going to have a ceiling of your development in this lifetime. So I love every modality. I don't think there's one. I think they're all, that we, mm. we need them all. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good to keep in mind too, that trauma doesn't live in the past. We can just look at the last few years and, and life as it is right now and see people are experiencing trauma all the time. So having these tools to help us navigate that and just have the awareness like, oh, this is a traumatic experience or this is bringing up shadow for me or whatever it is, I think is so useful. It's exciting that you're working with people and giving them that sense of license to go out into the world and do the kind of work that they know they're meant to do. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, Joanna, we're the wounded healers. So whatever work I've done on myself, that's what the medicine I give to my clients. So I'm always studying and researching myself and working on myself to how do I, you know, get even braver. I think it's very ironic. There's a book called Brave out there with my name on the cover. (laughs) And I think, wow, like I've actually created a, a bit of karma that I've got to be brave now in life. Like there is no backing out from this destiny I've created for myself. And so, you know, doing IVF, has been a brave journey speaking on stages about what it is to be brave as a corporate leader in terms of spirituality. I do a lot of speaking at like consciousness fairs and, you know, that takes bravery and courage. So even myself, I'm always pushing the boundaries for myself. So I'm not really ever in my comfort zone. I'm, I'm always stretching myself to new expansive into new expansive areas. Mm. And do you find that like attracts like, that people gravitate toward you because they're looking to step into their own courage? Oh, 100%. It never ceases to amaze me how drawn, how magnetic, you know, I've become and we can all become as we step more into our light and our purpose. People don't know why they're drawn to me. And and I really feel like it's because I've got bravery in my in my DNA just as a child I was very brave more with my mind and with my vision for who I wanted to be I always was like this is who this is it this is what I want to do with my life even though it didn't make sort of sense to people around me you know traveling the world a lot on my own and starting my own business quitting my job it's I think that's why people are drawn to me because I, t- I teach them how to be brave in life and as a part of that, I awaken them to their spiritual gifts and I, I help them access their own spiritual guides and channel, work through shame. And the outcome is always that they step into their purpose. It's inevitable. Yeah, I guess that's the whole point. Yes, that's our destiny. That's our higher self, our authentic. You know, my tagline in my book is courageously live your truth. It isn't a really a destination. It's, it's living your truth every day. Yes, yes. Where did I see you say something about this, about the difference between an authentic life and then one that is not authentic is courage. Like that sums it up so perfectly. I love that. Yeah, because it takes courage just to do things differently today. David Hawkins researched the energy frequency of different emotions And in the scale of his emotions, bravery is registered at 200. And 200, every emotion underneath 200 is negative. So bravery dissolves negative emotions. It just does. So when you're feeling fearful or shame or guilty or scared, bravery is the emotion that will dissolve it. You'll do a brave act. That's fascinating. That just came to me when I was speaking and writing my keynote. I thought, how can I... How do I tell people bravery is important? Because everyone thinks bravery is saving someone from drowning or running into a burning building. And it is. But it's 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 an act that happens maybe once in your life, if if that at all. It's so it doesn't that that type of bravery isn't something that isn't what we need every day. It's the it's little brave acts, mm-hmm. little brave acts every day. And sometimes people will run into a burning building without even thinking. And I think the kind of everyday courage that it takes to be an authentic person, it really brings you to your own edges of like, wow, am I really going to share this Mm. thing about myself? Am I really going to show up vulnerably? 
I have just found just from being a content creator on the internet, the times that I have kind of embarrassed myself, like really put myself out there. Maybe I cried when I didn't mean to, or I shared something very personal. I would feel so vulnerable. I would get like the vulnerability hangover. Like, why did I do that? And then that's always the thing that people respond to. Thank you so much. And then they start throwing around the word authentic. And that has been a very interesting thing to learn because it always requires courage. I don't get used to it, if that makes sense. It, every time I'm going to go there, it asks me to be courageous. It's a muscle we definitely strengthen. So I'm now better at adaptability and resilience. However, it's always feels new because every time I'm courageous, it's a new thing I'm being yeah. courageous in. So you got to just get used to feeling the shame and the guilt and the discomfort and all of those emotions, and then they pass, they pass through us. Yeah, I think you learn the reward of it. You learn the value in it, and that helps you be more 100%. courageous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for people who want to work with you, how do they do that? Where do they find you? People that want to work with me can find me at sheilav.co, my website, or reach out to me on Instagram. I do lives every week, live psychic readings every Monday in the US and it's Tuesday morning here in Sydney. My Instagram is Sheila underscore V underscore underscore. I'm running some new mentor programs in 2023. So just send me an email and I reply to you and we can connect. Okay. I will link to all of those things. I recommend people go and check out your Instagram because you do really great live work and I think it'll give them an even better sense of what it might be like to work with you. No, thank you, Jonah. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so ending this thing on a high note, what is one tip you have for somebody who wants to start developing their psychic ability or maybe even just improving their own sense of intuition? Find yourself a teacher. Find yourself a workshop or a teacher. And there's a lot of resources around. So I know TikTok and Instagram have a lot of videos and things. However, you're going to have to deep dive into a body of knowledge. And the first thing you'll have to do is connect to your spirit guides. So start working with a teacher and connecting to your spirit guides. The guides will start teaching you. And then start learning about how your psychic senses work. They're the, probably the first early, early steps is the spirit guide connection is essential. Yes. And then how it shows up for you in terms of the Claire's. Yeah, absolutely. Then a good teacher, and I, and I teach this in my Awakening Intuition program, a okay. good teacher will show you what your psychic abilities are. So they'll work with you and they'll say, oh, you're more feeling or you can really see or they'll help you activate more so you can, what I call, deepen the evidence. So work with a teacher because the teacher will actually dissect down how your psychic abilities work. What I find until you get the teacher, you're a little confused. It's a bit like doing a degree. Once mm. you've done a law degree, you're a lawyer. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Well, we're talking to one right now. So if you're feeling <laughs> what Sheila has to say, check out her programs, watch her Instagram videos and take it from there. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, Joanna. That's it, my friends. The final interview. I hope you loved it. I hope you're excited about the solo episodes that are coming up. I'm excited. I got a lot to say. If you enjoy this kind of content and you would like more of it, I'm creating it over on Patreon. I have a tier there called the Bebo Effect where I do a dedicated 
episode every month on this theme of beauty in, beauty out. That's what Bebo stands for. And then I have another tier called The Journey where I am creating, I'm illustrating a new tarot card every month that I share as a printable coloring page. And then I do a dedicated podcast on that. We are up to the hermit now. It has been a very interesting journey so far. I'm challenging myself to do 78 episodes of The Journey, which sounds like a lot, But it's not when I look back on the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of videos that I've made over the years and podcasts that I've done. Y'all don't even know if you're not hanging out with me on Patreon because I've done more over there than I have over here. (laughs) So I know that I can talk and that I never run out of things to say. So I feel like I'm up for the challenge. We shall see. I hope y'all are enjoying the end of 2022 and that you have a magical, empowering, wonderful new year. And until we meet again, always remember life is change. Change is magic. Magic is life. And the journey is the creation. Much love to you. Peace.